The remnants of Cattuso's army is finally crossing the bridge at Brunau. Remaining on the other side was Denisov's squad of hussars, and that includes Nikolai Rostov. They are left looking up at the heights surrounding them, facing an enemy that they can't see, but who can see them. The approaching French had better sight lines. This is the result of the retreat going slower than expected. Along with Denisov's group were some roving Cossack patrols. As previously referenced, Russians were generally happy to use Cossacks in their military efforts, many of whom were ethnic Ukrainians. During wartime, they would allow these units their traditions and provide post-war promises as to rights. This with regard to noble status, positions in government, property rights, and the rights to education. And in the Napoleonic era, once the war was completed, and despite the relatively high casualty rates that the Cossacks would suffer, Russia generally reneged. And this, in great part, led to the assurgence of Ukrainian identity. Now back to the story. Very soon thereafter emerged the distinct blue of the French uniforms, along with visible artillery. The Cossacks desperately tried to move out of firing range. The French were organizing some type of attack. There was the sound of the bugle, shouts, and the movement of men into their positions. There was about 700 yards between the hussars and the enemy. And Tolstoy knew of the tension of being on either side of this space which once filled results in inevitable mayhem. He wrote, One step beyond that line lies the unknown of suffering and death. And what is there? Who is there? There beyond that field, beyond that tree, no one knows. But who does not long to know? You fear crossing that line. And you know that sooner or later, it will have to be crossed and you will find out what lies there on the other side, just as you will inevitably have to learn what lies on the other side of death. But you are strong, healthy, cheerful and excited, and surrounded by other men just as full of health and exuberant spirits. After explaining the spiritual significance of this expanse, the French opened fire. A cannonball whistled over the heads of the hussars causing some to scatter and get their horses ready. Many became silent, waiting for a command and being told what to do. Shot after shot whistled by, but each overshot their target. The men held in their fear, thankful to not be in the trajectory of the cannonballs. Most were reserved, maintaining a quiet dignity. There was a recognition that one's duty must be performed and a life-or-death moment was at hand. Nikolai Rostov was under fire for the first time. He was poised and excited as he sat on his horse, Rook. He had the confidence of an excited and prepared student, ready to speak authoritatively on a topic before his entire class and show off what he could do. There was a radiant energy about him. Denisov was more agitated. He was riding to and fro before the squad, holding up his sword, looking somewhat intoxicated. And it's not clear if this was just because of the moment or if he had imbibed some liquid courage. He reaches Staff Sergeant Kirsten 
and they discuss what type of fight is likely to come. Denisov quickly received an order to have everybody retreat across the bridge so the small groups of hussars and Cossacks got safely out of range. Now on the other side, the safe side, was Colonel Karl Bogdanich Schubert, who had dressed down young Rostov over the incident where Rostov accused the higher-up of stealing Denisov's money. These two, Nicholas and Schubert, were now riding quite close to each other. Rostov noticed this dynamic and was sure he was being watched and observed, and he was determined to keep his poise and show what a good, dutiful soldier he was. Rostov was imagining scenarios, including that he would be sent on an attack out of spite. And the colonel never noticed or ignored Rostov the whole time. Soon Schubert received an order from Zedekov that some of the hussars were to go back on the bridge and destroy it. And remember him? He had been demoted from the general staff for acting like a fool in front of the Austrian command. So now he finds himself not among the general staff, but in the field. Nizvitsky, who Zerukov had been joking around with, was also there, discussing among the officers how this mission would play out. It involved getting inflammable material on the bridge and setting fire to it. But there was a lot of confusion on who was going to do what, and even who had the explosive material. Ultimately, it was Denisov's squad assigned the critical task of taking down the bridge. Rostov was excited and took the assignment as a challenge. And off the hussars went, some on horseback, some running towards the bridge. As Rostov was running, he slipped and fell in the mud, and he was embarrassingly left behind. Some soldiers reached the bridge and went too far across it, and the colonel was shouting for them to come back. Denisov was among that group. He was quite brave, good with a horse, not afraid to get in the middle of danger. The French noticed what was happening and wanted to preserve the bridge and take out as many men as they could who remained on it. So they brought forth a cannon that shot grape shot, smaller caliber round shots packaged tightly in small bags. When together, the ammunition resembles a cluster of grapes. On firing, the canvas disintegrates and the balls scatter, something like a shotgun blast. The officers from each side wondered who will get there first. Can the French preserve the crossing? Would the hussars destroy it? This while Nizvitsky, Zerkov, and other officers could see the grape shot being lined up. And then four shots came out in sequence. Nizvitsky noticed that two hussars had been hit and he immediately understood the horrors of war. He imagined himself being czar and having the ability to avoid war. As the French reloaded, some of their troops were running toward the bridge to shoot any of the hussars who remained on it. But within moments, the entire bridge was engulfed in smoke. The hussars had succeeded in setting it ablaze. Still, the French rained grape shot all over them, and at least three more hussars were hit. Rostov, at this point, was actually on the bridge, and men were falling around him, and stretchers were being called for. He felt very differently once the reality of war was in his face. He was confused and didn't know what to do, and couldn't understand at first why stretchers were being called for. He thought he might have someone to fight, but there was no one there for that purpose. 
he didn't assist in the firing of the bridge because he wasn't provided burning straw. All he can do is look out over the bridge and take in the beauty of the Danube. How brilliant was the setting sun, how magnificent the blue sky, how lovely the purple-tinted mountains. He found himself embracing the peacefulness and happiness of nature. And this so soon after being excited about the prospect of war. And it's not like he had even been in a major battle. But this battle was the most significant one there ever could be to those men around him that fell. He noted the everlasting potential for happiness in the sun. Well, right here on the bridge, misery reigns and men are laid to waste. He realized, death is all around me and above me. It's possible in a moment more I shall never see this river or any other again. All these feelings Rostov experienced merged within him, and he then felt helpless and could only call out to God, Thou who art in heaven, save, forgive, and protect me. And he was able to gain his composure and run back with the rest of the men. Denisov noticed him and characteristically said, Well, friend, you've smelt powder. He recognized Rostov had been tried by fire, but internally Rostov felt himself a coward, so different from the way he felt in anticipation. But Denisov was satisfied with how it all went. Most men did make it back. They were able to set the bridge ablaze and accomplish the orders that they had been given. It seemed that at least one man was dead on the spot, and a handful were wounded. This is what the colonel was told. And Zerkov thought that even for his small role in the affair, that a promotion might be in line for him, to sub-lieutenant. But Rostov felt himself a coward. However, nobody noticed Rostov in this change of his. And even if any attention had been directed to him, most of the hussars understood. What he was feeling was common to the person who had been involved in their first military skirmish. They understood through experience that complexity of emotions that you can never really understand unless you've been there. 